1: Hello and welcome to the Arsenal way back again with you guys for another episode of our Arsenal analysis series in which I'm joined as always by one of our scouting writers today I'm very happy to be joined by Josh Williams how you doing mate you good?
0: Yeah, good mate. Good to be back to it. i asking I'm in the, the glory of a, well. a Liverpool January signing is what you're doing, uh, <laughs> which, which we didn't get. <laughs> well, I remember we spoke at the end of the window about whether Arsenal would sign a striker and I think I actually said I thought he would. So a uh, little hmm. bit surprised there, but even more surprised that my club wouldn't say. We know a blame. So, uh, <laughs>
1: listeners, you can go straight to uh, at distance covered and let Josh know your uh, annoyance at the fact that we didn't bring in anyone in. But no, I mean, Diaz is a fantastic signing. He's someone that when he was being linked to Spurs, I was concerned to say the least. Um, so, I'm actually a bit thankful that you went in for him in the end and uh, it seems like Spurs did you a favour by getting him a cheaper deal as well which is fantastic. Um, but no, speaking of Arsenal and actually let's, why not kick off with the striker? scenario whilst we're talking here because that is the main crux of of the last month is is goals arsenal. and arsenal whilst yes we we've beaten Wolves and we've beaten brentford's with three goals across those two games lacazette's not scored uh and that's really been kind of the highlight for arsenal fans and then you see a bamian go off to barcelona and grab a hat trick which is just you know the the irony that arsenal fans live off so what Are you concerned from a neutral perspective, looking from the outside in at Arsenal's capacity to challenge for the top four without kind of, you know, having their own Kane or having their own Antonio or having their own Ronaldo in their side?
0: No, I'm I'm personally not. I I said pretty strongly in in January that I don't think Arsenal should move unless the right player can be attained. Mm. I stand by that. And I think there's a bit of a traditional perspective in England that, you know, your your central striker has to be the the guy who's putting the ball in the net, basically, but that's not necessarily true, that's not necessarily how it has to work, and I think think the big problem would be if Lacazette is not contributing elsewhere, um, Mm. and he's not scoring, that would be the issue, like, say, for example, over the course of the weekend, uh, Romelu Lukaku touched the ball seven times, um, didn't score, now that is more of an issue for me because he's not not only is he not scoring and not not concluding moves, but he's not doing anything either mm-hmm. in, in terms of general contributions and stuff. Whereas Lacazette, like I, I know he's the team's striker, but he's doing a lot of work in midfield and um, you know he's, he he offers a lot. I think, like I said, generally in possession, so I wouldn't be too concerned. Um, it wouldn't be that different at the start of the season when it. I had a slight concern that whether Arsenal had enough goals for the Champions League spot, but, you know, we're more than halfway through the season. Now it hasn't really stung Arsenal yet. So I think they'll be fine, personally.
1: It's interesting if he gets injured or COVID or something rules him out of games. And that's that's where a lot of Arsenal fans do have their concerns is about the depth because Eddie Nketiah you know, for all his his positives, which you know he's he's good in the six yard box. Uh, beyond that, though, he kind of struggles. Uh, if you give him the ball on the plate, he's he's pretty clinical. But the the other option for Arsenal is is probably Gabriel Martinelli. When it comes down to thinking about the depth in that position, is that then enough? Do you still think to to see Arsenal compete for that top four place?
0: Yeah, well, I've used I've used Liverpool and Manchester City as examples in the past mm-hmm. regarding this. You know, neither of those two sides really over the. Well, Liverpool over the past few years and City in the past 18 months, let's say, haven't really used a fixed focal point striker. They've just used a number of really talented attacking players, all kind of taking turns apiece to provide the actual threat and to put mm. the ball on it. And I think Arsenal have enough of those versatile, talented forwards to, you know, guard against the attack suffering if Lacazette misses a few games. like I've seen seen a word this week saying Arteta values Smith-Rowe as a potential number Um, 9. He's like that. Now, I don't think that's a permanent shift by any means, but I do think in certain games, if he was to lead the line, like, for example, Phil Foden does for Manchester City at times, Mm. I don't think it'd be that much of a problem. And Arsenal seem good enough system-wise, particularly on the defensive side of the game, to win matches by just scoring one goal. Um... So it's going to be interesting to see between now and the end of the season, but I don't think it's as much of a pressing issue as as many others do.
1: I was going to bring that point up about what Arteta said, because he said he feels like he can play as that nine. I and a lot of Arsenal fans will remember swiftly the Villarreal first leg, where he did play as a false nine and not very successfully. In fairness, though, Arteta did point out at the time that when we conceded within the first five or so minutes, that did kind of send the game plan down the toilet. But I see the amount of goals he scores, I see how direct he is, I see how clinical he's being and you think if he's got the ball in the right position, you know, you back him to score at the moment. I mean, there aren't too many guys in the Premier League that have scored more than 10 goals or in double, you know, double figures for non-penalty goals in, in the Premier League either. So, he's got that ability in him. What's interesting is the way that Arsenal are playing and as you say, we're creating plenty of chances, 16 against Brentford's in the first half, which is more first half opportunities than any other side have created so far this season. Do you... Th- do you see kind of what Arteta is trying to get system-wise, style-wise? Because that's always been kind of the biggest criticism of Arteta is, is that he doesn't really have a style and that people can't really pinpoint what he's trying to do with this Arsenal team. So from the perspective of someone who's looking analytically at things, do you recognise what he's trying to do?
0: Yeah, I've, I feel like I've said for a while. I've... Um back there for a while I think um, I think generally there's that, there's that argument isn't there, we've mentioned this in the past about the whole trust the process thing but mm. from an outside perspective when you're not emotionally involved it is quite clear to see that Arsenal are very much on the right track for me I think Arsenal have have gone beyond now the, the period where you have to suffer a little bit um, and I think they are moving towards a game where they are dominant and they are seeing most of the ball and they are posting double the number of shots than their opponents, more penalty box touches than their opponents. And just generally, if you're doing that every week, you know, probability basically is on your side. Um, and Arteta as, as has been very clear over the years, certainly when it comes to talking about what his, what his game looks like, what his ideal game looks like. So I think even if it's not particularly evidence on the pitch at times, I think he's, he's described it quite clearly for me as to what he's aiming for. Uh, further down the line and hmm. I think with time and with the right signings and things like that, Arsenal are going to get stronger and stronger and be able to to implement his ideas better and better.
1: He's made a slight tweak as well to the midfield whilst it's not, it wasn't initially picked up either when, uh, like you see the lineups come out and stuff because Xhaka, Partey and Odegaard is not exactly kind of an alien combination of midfielders for Arsenal to use. However, when watching the Brentford and the Wolves games, what became apparent very quickly is that Partey was definitely playing the deeper of those three. Xhaka was playing slightly further up on the left-hand side and kind of enabling Tierney and Martinelli in the in the Wolves game and Smith-Rowe in the Brentford game. And then Odegaard's kind of shifted to this right-hand flank uh, and is really supporting Bakayo Saka and those two are combining a lot and he's rather kind of vacated the natural number 10 position that he used to take up, which is interesting because I remember us having discussions in the past about how you felt Urdugar isn't really an out and out number ten at all, and he kind of suits more this hybrid number eight role. So, do you? I think that gives you the evidence, doesn't it, that Arteta's recognised that and he's looking to try and maximise what he can from what Urdugar is capable of doing.
0: Yeah, I think it's sensible as well when it comes to you know how usage of party and Jarrett, Um because I think you know generally Arteta's going to want a number of bodies in the final third, a number of bodies supporting attack and moves, and if you can add an additional midfielder into that. Uh, with the awareness that one of your other centre midfielders is, is a bit more defensive orientated, very good at covering ground, and can probably cover the ground of two players at times, providing your system's compact enough. I think it makes some sense to allow Jack to, to push on a little bit and, and get involved at times, providing Arsenal, as I said, compact enough to to notify um, canker attacks coming the opposite way. But I do think Arsenal are very adaptable in the attacking areas at times. and I think it, it helps when you're signing players like, Odegaard, and um, you're bringing through players like Smith Rowe and Saka and you know, very, very versatile. He can play in a number of different areas, and you can interchange positions and cause problems for the opponents.
1: I feel like I ask you this every single time we speak now, but has Odegaard changed your mind yet? Because what was it beige he was described as before? <laughs>
0: You're never going to let me up with that one, either. No, no, it's, um, uh, madness. <laughs> well, let, let me see his numbers lately. I mean, is he has he been scored on the system? Let me see. No, well,
1: no, I, <laughs> you know, not everything's about goals and assists, mate, but it, it, there's no, but a lot that, more that, to it than that, that. That is
0: that is what I mean though, when I say sure Beijing and attacking and sense. I, I don't mean like you, you will have just plenty, plenty of nice players over the years who have been very pleasing on the eye, very effective. Um, when it comes to playing in tight spaces, when it comes to playing in dangerous areas, but when it comes to what matters in a football sense, scoring and assisting, mm. they don't do that much. And Odegaard looks to me like one of those players. He's a nice player, but he's not an output merchant. He's not a, a you know, a numbers freak. Um, mm. and as I said, I've said to you before that that's fine as long as you surround them with players who are like that, but. Smith Saka, for instance. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But if, if if the emphasis is on Odegaard. Hmm. If you if you have a team of Odegaards, you'll draw a lot of matches.
1: Right. Well thank God we don't. It, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's that's kind of what I'm getting at if you see what I do know what you mean. He's got four goals and four assists this season, which is obviously a lot, a a massive improvement to the six month loan that he had from Real Madrid last season. And it is something that he's adding and he definitely had the opportunity to score again in the Brentford game. Like there was a chance where he could have shot and instead he passed it to Saka and there's the chance in the second half where he he should have slipped it past uh, Rea in goal, but Rea got a, a decent hand to it, but still definitely should have scored in that moment it's the control that he has for Arsenal and kind of his influence on the Arsenal team that's so important at the moment and how important he is to the way that Arsenal plays that he keeps things ticking over. He's got kind of that Santi Cazorla control about him at times. Um, And Arsenal have needed that kind of figure ever since really Santi Cazorla left. And Erdogan's now bringing that in. It was interesting when he went off against Wolves, how quickly kind of Arsenal lost control of the game and then Martinelli got sent off, which increased the pressure even further on Arsenal but he is proving to be really critical. What's interesting, though, is a lot of Arsenal fans seeing, obviously, the struggles of Lacazette or seeing Martinelli come out of the team and then Smith-Rowe coming in and scoring is a lot of people are asking how you fit Martinelli, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard and Saka all into the same side. From my perspective, I don't think you need to. I think that having, you know, options like Smith-Rowe and Martinelli available to you doesn't mean you have to force them all into the same team. You don't have to play a system with Erdegaard and Smith-Rowe in central midfield and Martinelli and Saka out wide or Martinelli even at striker. I think that the opportunity to bring Smith Rowe off the bench and he has scored from the bench this season several times or bring Martinelli off the bench is probably what I will do on Thursday against Wolves. And what we probably will end up doing is having that same front four that played against Brentford at the weekend start again against Wolves. Do you think that there's any credence to the argument that Arteta needs to find a way to play all four of those at the same time?
0: No, I agree with you. I'm on your side with this one. Um, you know, sadly in football injuries happen, and they happen quite mm. a lot. Sometimes players can miss. Says the Liverpool fan. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes uh, players can miss full seasons, especially mm. centre halves. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in the in the attacking areas, you know, you don't want to be in a position where one injury can really dismantle your attack. Um, and I think if you've you can you can argue about depth and things like that, which I think you made a point a few few minutes ago about depth. But then the Arsenal fans want want every attacking player to play at once, but that's never going to happen if you've got depth. Manchester City have got the same problem, um, but it's not a problem really; it's a nice problem. So, um, when it comes to competing on all fronts, which Arsenal will hopefully be doing next season when they get into the you know Champions League, Europa League, whatever it ends up being, yeah, uh, you're gonna need these players.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The depth is going to be so key, and in other positions as well. When we talk about kind of centre back and how White and Gabriel have done so well, but you've got Saliba coming back next season. Rob Holding still there, but could move on. But then you may be looking at say that the youth that's coming through, and Arsenal got a couple of really interesting young kids in their defending section of the pitch in, in the youth side that are going to come through and, and look also really exciting. Omar Rekic is one who already gone off to the African Cup of Nations and played with Tunisia at his age, which is is impressive. So that's exciting. To kind of round the conversation off, uh, I am interested to get your thoughts about the overall top four race and and Arsenal because we obviously saw Arsenal pick up another win, which is great. And, you know, focusing on them individually, just focusing on the next game and picking up wins is important. But then later in the afternoon, we went and watched the, the classic annual victory for Spurs against Manchester City, which is frustrating, but nothing new uh, as they seem to be their bogey side at the moment. Do you still think, and I mean, all the prediction metrics suggest Arsenal are far and, far and away the favourites for top four. I hate looking at them because, you know, it's obvious then that it will fall apart. But you see all these predictions that Arsenal look the favourites. Do you feel that it's accurate to give Arsenal more than double the chance of Man United and Spurs, which is what the the metrics are suggesting right now?
0: Yeah, well, I was just checking that now. 5 to eight. have got Arsenal oh, as 48% uh, for mm. fourth. Man United, 23%. Spurs, 23%. Um, I personally think it's out of Arsenal and Spurs and I hope it's out of Arsenal and Spurs to be honest because <laughs> yeah. um, I, yeah. I think Man United have got probably the best individuals but as a mm-hmm. team they are absolutely nowhere near I don't even know how they're with a shout to be honest um, and if you, look at the, if you look at the performance numbers Arsenal do look like a better team um, Spurs look like a better team so I do think it's a bit of a toss-up. Do you still have to play Spurs? Yeah, we still got
1: to go to Spurs um, because that got rescheduled. Because I remember when we last spoke, you said that Spurs were still your favourites at this stage because of Antonio Conte and and the presidency. But since then, obviously, they've gone on that run where they lost to Southampton, lost to Wolves uh, and lost to Chelsea as well. So has that changed your mind or are you still very much camp Spurs? (laughs) Which
0: is a horrible place to be. I think I am... siding ever so slightly with Spurs but it is it is a lot more 50-50 than it was then as you said Spurs mm. I've dropped a few points I think three losses in a row maybe Yeah. and since then Arsenal have been pretty convincing so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out but you know as a neutral I, I like both so yeah I'm, I'm easy but considering I do an Arsenal pod and I don't do a Spurs pod hopefully um, Arsenal You've get come it. on here
1: and said Spurs <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm covering all bases mate
1: yeah, no, look, I think that the the metrics as 538 um, put out is that at the moment when you see Arsenal picking up wins consistently and Spurs obviously losing those back-to-back fixtures and that, that City win was huge. But, I mean, Man United were, I think, 14% prior to the Leeds game. They got that win and it basically nearly doubled their chances uh, according to those prediction algorithms. So it, it changes rapidly. And if Arsenal lose to, say, Wolves, that that will go down significantly and that Wolves game is going to be big. And the motivation around the Wolves game, the narrative after the whole fiasco of Ruben Neves coming out and saying they celebrated like they won the league when they won at the Molineux. From an outside, I'm interested from your view on that as well, like from from that neutral point of view. I found it odd, and I would do as an Arsenal fan, being criticised for celebrating a victory. But do you think there's any scope of reason behind what (laughs) Neves said?
0: And Cody as well no i think that's a uh, that's just the general spikiness of uh, of losing mm-hmm. the game i think a little bit of a bit of salt in there i think yeah. um but i don't i don't blame arsenal for for celebrating that quite quite dramatically because obviously they won the game it was away from home they had a man sent off and he was a bit of controversy as to whether that should have happened uh kept a clean sheet with 10 men so i think and it was a, a suppose you know in a way a rival for top four so Mm. uh, i think they were absolutely justified in celebrating there and i think neves is probably just a bit spiky to be honest
1: i agree uh josh thank you so much mate for coming on the show i really appreciate your time as always tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to
0: yeah so it's at distance covered on twitter that's probably the best place to get me um yeah right above arsenal fairly regularly so uh yeah to give me a follow Painfully so, he says.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. I really appreciate your time. As always, do drop a like on the video if you've enjoyed it and subscribe to the channel if you are new around here with those notifications turned on. We hit 9,000 subs. We would really appreciate helping us towards our 10K target before the end of the season. If you're enjoying this sort of content, doing morning shows, interviews, press conferences, where you can watch Mikel Arteta himself. We'll see you soon. Have a fantastic day. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way.